What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, Jaw Raps, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, I have another guy that I went to go see if his middle name was started with a J. Oh, you do. Oh, because I can I can because, I guess? Sure. Desmond Bain. That's correct. That guy is so good. Holy. But unfortunately, and listen, I'm not I'm not one to I'm 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 not one to give his mother Marissa any crap. Okay. I'm not gonna do that. But all I'm saying is that it would have been nice if his middle name was Jacob or something and not Michael. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. There's no, we're not throwing any shade. I'm just saying that. His mother clearly didn't have this podcast in her mind yep. when naming her son, which that's, is, which I guess we can live with, but geez. Only because he's delivering for the Grizzlies. Does that make it acceptable though? Right. 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 If he, <laughs> well, but then again, we, we're in this catch 22 chicken and the egg thing of like, what I care what his middle <laughs> name was, if he was bad for the Grizzlies. So Fair point. I suppose if I had to pick one, I'd rather him be really awesome for the Grizzlies. And I want to add him to our intro rather than, him being bad and me wanting, wishing they had picked somebody else with the 30th overall pick. But sure. um, so if I had to pick, I suppose I would pick this, but you know, I digress. Uh, Josh, how uh, are you? How are you doing? It feels kind of weird. The world series is starting tonight. Okay. Can we talk about how much time, like these guys play baseball. Can we not act like we need a week in between the two championship series to get ready? Like I get the whole, let's make sure all the pitchers are rested and that we actually get the best pitching matchups and yada, yada, yada. Like that's why they do it. But I I don't understand why we need a whole week. It's been like five days. Come on, just start playing the basketball, games, also, the, the baseball games. Also part of it is, I mean, how difficult is it to move? And I don't know the answer to this to actually move the world series schedule as in what happens if one of the championship series goes seven. Yeah. I, I assumed that was part of it. I could be wrong. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I'm that sure there's is. sort of a set date for the world series regardless. And it just so happened that the world, the championship series were not competitive. So you have this I, weird break. I, I guess, but like the, also the other part of this is like, like either way you don't get to finalize anything not even where the games are going to be played because you don't know who's going to be in the i suppose you need more right there's only so much you can final yeah yeah and it's easy i mean it's not like those two stadiums are going to be doing you know if you're in the world series you're going to be able to play your home games when you need to play your home games and it like and, and my my biggest issue is that listen i like people already don't care about major league baseball. Nobody talks about it. You like basically gave people a chance to forget the world series was going to happen. Like that's like, that has to be taken into account. And there was some real momentum going there last weekend. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of just all gone away. Anyway, it's it's okay. Citizens bank park is still playing Calum Scott's version of dancing on my own. So I will be happy. (laughs) That's made. That's, that's already made the postseason for me, whatever happens. Yeah, okay. Anyways, SEC preview week. We're wrapping it up here. Um, got a, a conversation here with Jackson Collier. Jackson is a Arkansas Rivals. Uh, he covers Arkansas for, for Rivals.com. Um, and we uh, we spent about 35 minutes talking to him about Arkansas and really got deep into into Arkansas as well as touching on the rest of the conference at the end of end of the conversation. But this is the last one. This is the last interview of the preview series. And I believe, Josh, 
is I believe this is the first year we've gone six for six and getting an interview. Is that correct? I don't know off the top of my head, but you might be right. Because I think this is year three of doing a yeah. doing all so like an in-depth preview for all six conferences. Maybe that's not right. But no, it's I think def- I think you're right about all of this. Um, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure this is year three, and I'm almost positive this is the first time that we've actually gotten and someone to come and chat for all six interviews. So to Jackson Collier. And I'll go through the rest uh, after the after the interview. Let's do that. That makes more sense. Um, but yes, the the last installment of our of our preview series when it comes to a conference from conference basis, we'll do some national awards and predictions and things next week. But as turn in terms of conferences specifically, this is the last one. Six weeks. I mean, Josh, we are now ten days away from the start of the college basketball season. I'm very, very excited. But um, before we get to that, we have to get to Jackson Collier. Um, let's go chat with him about Arkansas and and touch on the SEC as well. Joining us now from Arkansas Rivals, uh, among other things, at Jackson Collier on Twitter, JC Hoops, Jackson Collier. There's You, you might know him from a couple of different things, but uh, Jackson Collier uh, here to talk some hoops with us, Arkansas, the SEC. Jackson, how are you? Man, I'm doing great. Uh, just a nice Friday out here today. Uh, it's finally starting to cool down here in the South a little bit, um, which I'm enjoying, but uh, doing well and excited to come on here and talk with y'all for a bit. Yeah, we are very excited to to kind of hop into the SEC, hop into um, a, a, a pretty anticipated Arkansas season and um, so I, I, I just want to start there with a pretty general question. Can you remember an Arkansas season that has as much momentum and hype around it as this one? Not as much. I mean, there have been seasons in the past where, you know, there was some hype, you know, last the last two seasons, there was, was a lot of hype, you know, the the 2020 team uh, or the, the 2020 recruiting class that went into the 21, the first elite eight under Musselman. There was a lot of hype around that because of the four in-state four-star prospects that Musk brought in and and the transfers and Moses Moody. So there, there was some hype around that. But the goal at that point in year two under Musk was like, okay, um, at that point, you know, obviously you're going to have a lot of freshmen leading you and uh, just kind of see what the the status of, of the program is. They were, there's a lot of excitement, but not necessarily like hype per se for like, oh, we're going to make the Elite Eight. Oh, we're going to make the Sweet 16. It was like, let's get to the tournament and see what happens. Then they made a run of the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. That led to hype last year. And But to answer your question, like the hype that's around this specific team, I haven't seen in my lifetime. There was some excitement in some of the mid-2010s, uh, you know, Bobby Portis teams, uh, Barf- Jalen Barford and, and Daryl Macon and Moses Kingsley teams. The, there was some hype around those, but never really anything like this. Um, probably, and this is before my lifetime, but probably since the, you know, the Todd Day era, the Corliss Williamson era, all that sort of stuff in the early 90s with Nolan Richardson. And big part of this hype, this excitement is this recruiting class that is coming in led by these five-star recruits not just one, multiple, you know, Nick Smith Jr., Anthony Black, Jordan Walsh. What have you seen from these guys so far? What is realistic to expect from them? And kind of what do you think stands out or what do you think people should be looking for when they actually see these guys take the court for the first time for Arkansas? I think one of the great things about those three uh, specifically is that they're all 
so different from each other. So they complement each other very well. Uh, you know, Nick Smith, the five star, he was the highest rated. I think even on rivals, he, I think he might've finished as the number one overall prospect in the, in the 22 class. Um, and he's projected to be a top five NBA draft pick. And there's good reason for that. He's a, he's a pretty good defender. He's very, very fast. I, I don't think I knew how fast he was until I started watching him uh, in live game situations, uh, starting with the European tour and now the exhibitions and some practices, but very fast, really good at uh, creating uh, with the ball, um, really good moving without the ball, can knock down a shot, can really a true scorer at all three levels and has the athleticism and explosiveness to finish above the rim um and he's a guy who also has such a professional approach uh muscleman's compared his uh approach to moses moody who was the first one and done in program history mm-hmm. and now steve kerr is talking about his professionalism as a rookie last year so to compare nick smith's uh, professionalism and his approach to moses moody uh, while having that insane level of talent really speaks a lot to him um, and I really think when you look at Nick Smith, when you look at this team this year, he's going to be the driving force. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he managed to average over 15 points a game. Um, he's going to take open shots. He's going to probably shoot a lot because he can he can make anything. He can finish through contact. He can hit the knock down uh, an open shot or even a contested shot. Um, I, everybody's really high on Nick and for good reason. A lot of people are also high on Anthony Black. Um another five-star, another McDonald's All-American. All three all three of these guys are five-star McDonald's All-Americans, uh, which is incredible. But Anthony Black, completely different type of player. Uh, you know, while Nick Smith can play on-ball kind of point guard too because he he has that, um, the, that ball handling ability, he's mostly going to be off-ball. Anthony Black is more of a true point guard. He's also 6'7", 6'8", with a really long wingspan. And, and very athletic. He's he's a guy who can throw lobs and catch lobs, which I, I don't know if you see that very often, especially as young as he is uh, at the point guard position. Um, maybe not much of a shooter. I, I'm not going to say he's a bad shooter, probably going to hover around the 30% mark. Uh, won't take many outside shots. Really good facilitator, exceptional vision and, and very long on the defensive end. He's going to be able to block shots. He's going to be able to generate steals, force turnovers, um, that's going to feed into transition. He's going to be excellent in the open court, um, whether that's feeding lobs, uh, finishing at the rim, all that sort of stuff. Jordan Walsh uh, kind of rounding out these these first three. He's the the most raw of the three, but he's also probably the most athletic. Um, insane athlete. I think he has over a seven foot wingspan. He's six foot seven. Um, he runs really hard. Um incredible vertical um and you know you when you compare or when you talk about all that you also have to take into account he's a good basketball player too um not the best shooter in the world but can't, has the ability to knock down an outside shot um in, in spots in high school and on the AAU circuit he was finishing through contact really well getting to the free throw line probably needs to hit a higher percentage of free throws probably needs to get a little bit better at um finishing through contact at the rim maybe needs a little more confidence at this high level of college basketball, but you know, he, he's another 
five-star who once he starts tapping into his potential and once he starts developing, you know, more as a basketball player, I mean, he is a good basketball player, but he's mainly an athlete at this point in his career. Once he starts developing as a, a, as a basketball player on top of his athleticism, sky's the limit for him too. One of the things I really like about these three guys is, I mean, you just spent, you spent five minutes talking about three guys that are clearly fitting into different boxes. Right. And, and we'll get to, I mean, there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen when it comes to this basketball team, when you bring in as many new guys as you bring in and all of them have played productive college basketball minutes before, other than the five-star freshman, of course, that, um, that things can get, um, crowded but when it comes to those freshmen right it's not i mean anthony like i'm not worried about anthony black or um jordan walsh being upset about nick smith taking more shots because nick smith's probably going to take more shots and it doesn't seem like that those other two guys that that is going to end up being the main the main job um and then when you add those two guys you know as as athletic as well all three of them but specifically those last two guys at six seven then you add a guy like Trayvon uh Trayvon Brazil from Missouri that guy's long and athletic too and so you're just going to have arms and legs all over the place which I'm really excited about when it comes to the defensive end of the of the floor um are you so but I want to ask you um about those i think i I, i'm encouraged by that idea of of how the pieces i think are going to fit how do you think these guys are going to fit together and if maybe there's one thing you're the most concerned about what might it be so as far as fit goes i don't think i'm concerned um really at all especially with those three freshmen um you know the, the only concern for fit at least to me is you know exactly how uh they're going to approach the front court because um, they brought in four uh, additions to the front court, all with college experience. He brought Jalen Graham in, who is an all Pac-12 performer at Arizona State. The Mitchell twins from Rhode Island, who were very, very good at Ro- Rhode Island. And then uh, on top of that, you already mentioned uh, Trevin Brazil. And those are all guys who were in the front court. And, you know, this was a response to Arkansas playing Duke in the Elite Eight. And Duke just had a lot bigger presence in in the front court and in the paint and kind of just bodied Arkansas in the paint a little bit Arkansas only had really Jalen Williams as a big body and other than that it was a a bunch of six seven wings so now you look at Graham you look at the twins you look at Brazil they're all six nine six ten and they're not small they're uh, the twins are 250 um Brazil's probably 235 or something um a, a lot of, of increased depth in the front court where that gets into fit. It's just, I'm not sure how the minutes are going to shake that shake out. And the reason I don't know is because I don't even think the staff knows yet. You know, you throughout the summer, uh, throughout the European tour, throughout the exhibitions, the red white game, you've had different guys step up at different times. Brazil has been probably the most consistent, but then You've seen flashes from either one of the Mitchell twins. You saw flashes from one of only two returners from last year's team, Kamani Johnson, in, in Europe. Um, you're seeing flashes from Jalen Graham recently. So it's just a matter of how you determine those roles and if you can determine them um, as early as you need to so that guys can kind of buy into their roles and, and contribute in those roles. You mentioned this is – basically a brand new roster with the exception of a couple guys 
we saw Texas try and do something somewhat similar last season. Didn't exactly go well from a chemistry standpoint. What has, and of course, Eric Musselman is not new to the transfer portal. Eric Musselman has been used to turning rosters over. It's not like this is his first go around, but we were kind of talking, just trying to find an example of so much talent acquisition, starting with such a sort of blank slate here. What has the coaching staff said about trying to integrate all of these new pieces and is the sort of off court, we've talked a lot about the on court fit, is the off court situation at all concerning to you? This idea that, right, you're not just bringing in bodies, you're bringing in guys who are playing 20 plus minutes a game last season and being really key parts of their teams now all coming into the same spot. And you have three five star freshmen who are also going to be key contributors. There's just a lot going on there. And then on top of that, the other three freshmen, because they brought in six freshmen in this class. Uh, the other three were also all rivals 150 players. So they're, I mean, even those guys, that's Barry Dunning, Darian Ford, and Joseph Pinion, those guys are still high-level recruits too. They might not be McDonald's All-Americans, but those are guys who had plenty of, of high major offers. And so, yeah, it, it is one of those things that it's, it was a concern from from everybody. I mean, national media, local media is wondering, and even the coaching staff uh, to some degree might have even wondered, you know, how are we going to develop this chemistry uh, off the court, on the court, and also still foster an environment of, you know, competing uh, for minutes and all that sort of stuff. But everything that Musselman has said is that, um, you know, the energy in practice, the 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 chemistry in practice is at an all-time high. Um, he said at one point they might have been the farthest along that they've been in their time here um, while still having to slow things down because of all the youth and because of all the the new additions. Um, so he's, he's taken a patient approach and I think that's really paid off. He's also talked about, uh, he mentioned in the team meal and team meeting before the Roger state exhibition, how there, there was more people talking um, in that room than at any point in his time at Arkansas. So you had players, talking to each other, um, interacting with each other. And then you had Nick Smith watching film and also talking to to people as well. And he even went as far as to say, you know, last year's Elite Eight team, you know, there were times where it was silent and people were just eating eating their food and not really saying much. Last year or last week, it was lively and a lot of people were talking, getting along well. And, and I think it really bodes well for, you know, looking at the relationships between the players themselves and between the coaching staff and the players. I think part of the reason that that's gone so well is because of the international travel to uh, Europe for four games. I mean, you play uh, four games, you develop some actual game chemistry with uh, your teammates, and then also you're traveling the world and you you go and you experience cool things in Spain and Italy. And Anthony Black was one of the guys who um, apparently he's traveled internationally quite a bit. So he was one of the guys who helped, I think, five or six other guys through security and customs at one point in one of the countries, which is pretty, pretty cool. But, you know, those sort of experiences really go a long way to, you know, bonding as a team and, and generating friendships and good chemistry. Yeah, I think I think. Europe trips are one of the more underrated, like not just for, you know, it's fun to be able to tell a recruit that, Hey, we're going to go and you're going to play basketball in Europe and we're going to go see everything in Europe and it'll be awesome. But just from a, especially for a team like this, right. That is so, that is so new to each other. And right. The best way to have on-court chemistry is to have off-court chemistry first, right. That is, that's 
just as important as figuring out how to play basketball together on the court. Um, so that's huge. Um, there's, there's this weird, it's like Arkansas. So we've got two, we've got back-to-back elite eight teams and both teams lost four games in five in a five game stretch somewhere basically between like December 15th and January 15th. Both teams have the same stretch. I'm kind of there at the beginning of conference play. Um, two years ago, it was, between January 2nd and January 16th, and they lost four of five, um, including including a loss to Missouri and a loss to LSU, Alabama, and Tennessee. And then last year, they had basically the exact same stretch from December 11th to January 8th. Um, and that was actually five losing five of six. Um, the point I'm getting to is... is what's kind of that next step for complete consistency throughout the season for, I mean, right. This team, you know, super young team in a lot of ways, but also just a brand new team. We've, we've spent plenty of time talking about what's kind of, can you put your finger on any one thing? Is it just moving into conference play? It's kind of happened in that same time. Maybe it's just the holiday. Um, Is there anything that you're kind of looking at to, bring more consistency and not have that middle of the season lull that they've kind of had the last couple of years. So I think there are a couple of things, you know, last year, I think the biggest issue was um, they didn't have the right rotation figured out yet. They were still working on playing Devonte Davis at point guard, and they were still running a fairly small lineup at that point. Um, and then Musselman has been quoted saying multiple times, you know, he just, kind of thought, what would my dad do? You know, his dad's a longtime NBA coach, coach uh, also uh, at the University of Minnesota. Um, so, I mean, the coaching pedigree in the Muslim family is there, but he, he asked, what what would my dad do? And ultimately, he decided that his dad would have made a bigger lineup. So, uh, you know, he inserted Trey Wade in the starting lineup. All DC Tony uh, was in the starting lineup and and J.D. Note moved to point guard. And you had a bigger, more physical uh, presence kind of and I think that really sparked the change last year so ultimately I think that was mainly just rotational the year before that I think that was more of you know youth and you know and also to be fair you know that first year too Justin Smith went down with an injury um so he was not a hundred percent um at that point I think he only played or he missed two of those games in that stretch on that first elite eight team. So he also had that injury mixed in, which is a significant injury because he was a starter, probably the second, I think he was the second leading scorer, the third leading scorer on that team behind Moses Moody and maybe JD Note or he might've been third, but so I think that played into it too, but also that might've been more of, you know, some inexperience and uh, lack of, of chemistry as a team there too. But as far as this year goes, I think I don't think you're going to have that issue in non-conference. Um, the the only possible way you have that sort of an issue in in non-conference might be in Maui, um, but we don't know you know opponents yet or anything like that. So it's hard to to put a finger on exactly how that shakes up. I'm confident they'll beat Louisville. I don't think Louisville is going to be very good this year, but outside of that, you really don't know. Um, but I think this team is way more talented than either one of those two teams. And barring any injuries, I think the chemistry is, is also farther along. Um, not to say that 
you know, oh, the, the problem's fixed. They won't have a lull because, I mean, they have a tough uh, conference schedule again. I mean, they're playing in the SEC. The SEC has completely revamped their, yep. their basketball uh, presence. So, you know, there might be a lull. Um, but even if there is, I, I wouldn't necessarily think it's the end of the world. If anything, the last two seasons has taught Arkansas fans and, and media around the, around the country. It's, you know, Musselman's going to have his team ready come the end of the year. I think you know, they lose four or five and they lose five of six in those two years. And they also end the season winning like eight of nine or going on a yeah. seven game win streak or something on those two years as well. Yeah, I think I think it's certainly not not indicative of foreshadowing how the rest of the season is going to go out. Right. Because they've been to the Elite Eight and won at a, at a really high level um, after those those two kind of lulls. Um I am I am curious if it's if it's maybe a little bit of right I think the Maui tournament this year will be important for getting reps against really good teams right and you you wrote a you know for for rivals kind of broke down their uh their non-conference schedule and what you thought how you thought it might shake out and and if you look right it's you get to play you get to play Oklahoma right uh sorry you get to play Louisville and you get to play Oklahoma those two things are are for sure and then it kind of depends on where it goes from there and you can get a right a good Creighton team a Texas Tech team that's not going to be fun to play um Ohio State and Arizona are also on that list of teams that you could play but other than that right I mean you don't play a preseason top 90 Ken Palm team until you play Oklahoma on December 10th and then after that right it's UNC Asheville and UNC Greensboro are the other two teams on your on, on your non-conference schedule. So I think maybe it's, it has something to do with that, that like SEC conference play comes in and it kind of, kind of gets them in, you know, punches them earlier because I mean, last year's regular, last year's non-conference slate was, was better, but I mean, we're, there were still a lot of, you know, the little rocks and central Arkansas and pens of the world on, on that roster. I mean, on that, on that schedule. So maybe, we're looking, we're looking there to see if there's a little bit of lull, but maybe the talent is just so good that that it won't be there this year. Um, part of part of the way to kind of mitigate that, you know, this Saturday they're playing an exhibition against Texas. Right. It's charity exhibition. Texas totally. is going to be one of the most talented teams in the country. You know, they're going, like you said, to the Maui uh, Invitational. Probably going to run into some good competition there, most mm-hmm. likely. Right. Um, and and Oklahoma is going to be decent to pretty good this year i would think they returned the groves twins they had a couple quality transfers and some recruits um outside of that yeah the the non-conference slate isn't i'm not going to call it bad it's it's selected well i think because a lot of these teams are slated to finish top three in their conference um that doesn't necessarily translate to like a tough schedule but it at least doesn't hurt Ken Palm or mm-hmm. or net or something is as much as playing like Little Rock and UCA last year destroyed any hope at, at building a strong net or strength of record <laughs> right. strength of schedule right and finally before we jump to the rest of the conference if there's one thing you're looking at at this point based on what you've seen what you've heard that's going to be the key to either determining how far this team can go sort of what that ceiling is key to their success what do you think that would be Oh gosh. Um, you know, there are a few things I could point to. Um, I guess the number one overall thing, um, would have to be, uh, you know, perimeter shooting. This team doesn't look like they have 
a bunch of knockdown shooters. Um, they have some guys who can hit shots. Nick Smith, I think, is probably going to shoot 37-plus percent from the outside. Um, hopefully, Ricky Council can get back to his number from his first year at Wichita State before he was, you know, ball dominant and having to take all the shots for them. When he was taking better shots, he was a better shooter. His form is kind of um, different. But um, outside of those two, though, you, you hope that Trevin Brazil can be a little consistent. You hope that, um, you know, Jordan Walsh can step out and hit. And you hope that Devontae Davis can hit a couple shots and maybe even Anthony Black. But I think the one thing about this team is they're going to attack the rim. They're going to get to the free throw line uh, and they're going to take good open perimeter shots and they're going to shoot a lower volume. I think they shot around 24 to 25 per game last year. I bet that number goes to 17 or so this year, maybe 18. And those will be better shots. They just need to knock them down. I think if they shoot, if they manage to shoot 33 to 34% from three, uh, which is better than last year and right on pace with the year before last with having more talent than they've had on either of those last two things, I think that could really push them into a final four uh, type consideration. The other two kind of ancillary, uh, notes uh i would consider would be like free throw percentage and like getting to the free throw line and making them they shot a ton of free throws against roger state they did not shoot a good percentage at all not necessarily worried about that i think they will be a good free throw shooting team but i haven't seen it so far um i think part of that too is just who is getting to the line you need to get your better free throw shooters to the line and as any young team uh gotta control the turnovers a little bit you can't turn the ball over a lot and expect a ton of success so kind of you know turnovers and and free throw percentage are kind of secondary but I think the big biggest thing is definitely perimeter shooting because you don't want defenses to start packing it in on a team that really thrives at getting to the rim you know has a bunch of rim runners and guys who play above the rim because then you're you're destined for even higher contested shots you're you're destined for charge calls and all that sort of stuff I think it's fascinating that in a in a time with the sport where three-point shooting is such a sought after commodity that almost every year the team with the most like five-star prospects is a team that we're concerned about their shooting like (laughs) just because just because the guys who jump to the top of recruiting classes typically are guys that are just uber athletic like right kind of the same idea as how we draft in the in, in the nba draft there's a lot of like Oh, that guy is so raw, athletic. The potential is off the charts, um, but maybe the you know the 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 edges are still are still rough, so to speak. I mean, it feels like every year that Duke is like has a really elite recruiting class. It's like, okay, can they shoot the basketball? Kentucky, we seem to be asking that question all the time. And this year, it's C.J. Frederick and Antonio Graves, Gre- Groves, Graves, one of those um, that are going to be the shooting, anyways. Um, so let's let's kind of go to to the rest of this conference um i think a lot of people expect arkansas to be in the conversation for the top of the conference making a run at a regular season title being a right this is a team that's along with a couple other teams a top 15 team in the country in preseason in terms of the ap poll so in theory that means that they're going to make a run at the at a regular season title when it comes to the top tier of this conference right there are kind of three teams that seem to be with Kentucky Arkansas and Tennessee um do you think is your top tier of this conference all three of those teams just two of them is Kentucky ahead of the rest do you think Arkansas might be what are you kind of seeing um in terms of the the tippity top of the conference 
Uh, I would say those three are definitely the the top tier. And then you have a kind of a second tier behind them with uh, Alabama, Auburn, and maybe some others. It's hard to gauge some of these programs like, like LSU. Um, they brought in a bunch of transfers um, from, oh, heck, where did he come from? Um, Murray, Murray State. Murray State, yeah. So they brought and they were they were a good team. And, you know, Justice Hills, a Little Rock native, he's down at LSU now and he was really strong for them. I I forget the big man's name. They landed big man, too. It's just going to be interesting to see how those guys all, you know, gel together and then also compete at the next level, because you can be a very good player and a very good team um, at the at the level that Murray State was at. But playing in the SEC is completely different. I mean, it, I say it's completely different. Basketball is one of those sports where, you know, there there is a lot of parity across um, college basketball, which is great because there's a lot of talent in the country. Um, but I don't know if – I'm trying to remember how many players he brought from Murray State, like maybe five? I think, I think it so, might have been five. Somewhere between so. three and five? Yeah, it was significant. <laughs> So, and if that's your foundation for your roster, at least two of them are probably going to start. Um, you know, that's, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just interested to see how that's, I, I can't sit here and make a prediction for how I think they're going to do because of that. Um, you know, Florida is another team with a new coach, Matt McMahon, who m- might be able to be pretty good. You know, we kind of knew what to expect under Mike White and and kind of, be be conservative with with expectations for Florida under Mike White um you know so I I don't know as far as that second tier I definitely see Alabama and Auburn and outside of that it's just kind of guesswork I would hope that you know Jans at Mississippi State can can do some good things I mean the stronger the conference the better obviously so you, you always kind of hope that teams are, are are good um maybe this is the year that you know Stackhouse finished strong last year at Vanderbilt maybe this is the year he can kind of capitalize on that but you know he loses Scotty Pippen Jr so where do the points come from there um South Carolina and um South Carolina and Georgia are probably going to be in a lot of trouble <laughs> at the bottom um Missouri's another team you know you don't really know what to expect with some of those transfers either but they have a couple of guys returning that are pretty solid um but yeah, as far as the first and second tier, I think it's Kentucky, Arkansas, Tennessee at that first tier, all pretty even. Alabama, Auburn, right behind them, maybe Florida, and then who knows after that. Looking at the some of those top kind of two tiers you mentioned, it seems like we're going to have a lot of the same questions about some of these teams we did last season. Whether it's you know Tennessee, can you get enough offensively, especially without Kennedy Chandler there? Kentucky, can you kind of? take that next step and get a little bit more out of this roster. What does it look like with the changes? Alabama shoots a million threes last year. They couldn't hit them. Does that sort of system translate Auburn's guards? Sometimes the decision-making is shaky. It's a completely new front court. Do you feel like we're going to, and you know, those are some of the teams you mentioned at the top of this conference and everybody seems to agree with that. Is there one of those teams you think is in a best position to take another step this season and sort of solve some of the problems that maybe hindered them from becoming a real national title contender last season. Cause by the end, it kind of felt like Kentucky and Auburn were sort of in that second tier, as opposed to the Kansases of the world when you were talking about final four. So I think you look at Arkansas and just the immense level of talent they have, 
so Musselman has done with the Arkansas roster. I mean, they've had talent, more talent than they had under Mike Anderson, um, under Musselman so far. But I don't think he had talent that was necessarily geared to make an elite eight run um, the last two years. Um, but this season, this is the most talented roster Arkansas has had in decades. Um, and I think by having that much talent while also addressing the issue of the interior presence like they had last year, I think that puts Arkansas in a really good position to take that next step. I also think Kentucky is in that same boat, too, because, you know, they were able to land another top recruiting class. They were able to retain some guys. You know, Jacob Toppin's supposed to have a breakout year this year, too. And they they got big O back, uh, Oscar Shibway. So I think they're in a position as well to take another step back to, you know, where, where Kentucky's supposed to be. I mean, they're coming off of a first round or is it a first round or a second round exit and then a, a losing season the year before that. So Kentucky's kind of in uncharted waters. I expect them to to take that next step as well. Um, Tennessee, I think they're going to be right about the same. I think they're going to be really, really good in the regular season and in conference play, probably get a favorable seed and then round of 32 or sweet 16, nothing wrong with making a sweet, sweet 16. They could even potentially make an elite eight. I don't think they're geared towards national title run though. Alabama is always a wild card because of their style of play and the amount of talent they have. Is it that the um, truth? I mean, it, it's, it really is puzzling. They always have, they're probably on equal footing uh, with talent as the top tier of the conference. Like they, they sign a lot of talent. They landed some elite talent in the transfer portal this year. They still have Javon Quinterly. It's just a matter of number one, getting Quinterly healthy. Number two, how those guys, uh, you know, uh, gel together to develop chemistry. And then number three, can they make their outside shots? Um, If any two of those things happen, uh, I think they'll take another step too. But I mean, again, I think they're a complete wild card. You just don't know. Auburn is also kind of in a wild card spot. I think their talent level is down, but Bruce Pearl is also a heck of a coach. And I think he can surprise you. So I'm going to at least say Auburn is, at worst, a step back in from where they were, and they're going to be round thirty-two. It probably probably round of thirty-two kind of expectations for me, at least. Yeah, Alabama is one of those teams. It's like, man, they they have they have Mark Sears and they have Namari Burnett and they have right a, a freshman and Jaden Bradley, and then oh right, Javon Quinterly is still returning from an ACL injury. There's there's so much talent in that backcourt, and there has been talent in that backcourt for basically since NATO it's got there and right. That's the question, right? Can we not turn the ball over? Can we make our three pointers and have some sort of consistency in those two things? Um, but, um, but yeah, um, Jackson, thank you so much for, for taking the time real quick. Where can people find your stuff? Um, any promotions that you'd like to do? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at Jackson Collier. Pretty easy to find me. J A C K S O N C O L L I E R. Um, any articles that I write, um, mostly related to Arkansas, also do some SEC stuff for rivals at hogbeat.com. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Perfect, man. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, and we'll see you soon. Appreciate it. I enjoyed coming on. Thank you so much, Jackson, for coming on uh, and chatting about a Josh, one of the more anticipated Arkansas seasons ever, and especially yeah. when it comes to, to five star talent. Yeah, I mean. 
I thought it was cool that Jackson kind of went back because immediately in my head when we were talking about has there ever been excitement like this, my head went to, you know, 1990s, which is kind of, I think, exactly where he got to eventually, which was, yeah, in, you know, you and I's lives, there hasn't really been an Arkansas season like this one. Mm -hmm. Definitely. There was a reason we wanted, not only are they going to be a factor in the SEC, but also I, I am ready to, crown them my most interesting team in college basketball, which is always, you know, we want the interesting teams, the teams that have Big a lot news. of storylines. Yeah. News. I just, it took a while for me to get there, but that's the decision I have reached. Okay. Yeah. It's also why we went with Baylor of just kind of these interesting teams that have sort of a little bit of a different angle to them mm-hmm. other than just it's Duke and Duke is going to be really good again, you know? <laughs> Very so, much. Yeah. Yeah. And Jackson was terrific giving context about, you know, the past couple of seasons, sort of the, the elite eight runs, what makes this season different, what you can learn from the, the past seasons heading into this one, all of it and terrific insight on this actual roster and all of these new pieces as well. Absolutely. That's the last one. That's six, six interviews uh, across the six major conferences. Lucas Harkins, Jackson Collier, Kendall Kalt, um, Brendan Marks, Kevin Sweeney for the big 10 and Connor Hope. Is that all six? I believe that's I believe all, that six. Is all six. I believe that is all six. So thank you to all of them. And thank you to you guys for listening to the conference preview series, national stuff next week. And then it's, then it's November 7th. Then we're hopping into this college basketball season. And Josh, I'm so over predictions. I'm so over previews. I can't wait to like, I can't wait to look at games instead of ponder what games might be anyways um very very excited and we'll get into the last part of of previews uh next week and then it's then it's on to the season please subscribe to the jays for days podcast on apple podcast spotify and google podcast follow us on twitter at jays for days pod check out the youtube channel if you've uh if you've been checking those uh those interviews and previews out on youtube we very much appreciate it um and we'll be back next week Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.